roses are red and violets are blue. This is a test. One, two. I, uh, I'm carrying this big Bible. I, I hope it doesn't cause any of you to have flashbacks. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can rest easy. I appreciate the preaching and what an honor it is to get to preach in the same service and share the same platform with Brian. Brian has been preaching um, a number of years. He's been at this church, I think, 33 years, started from scratch. I've been preaching for 55 years, and uh, we haven't had the opportunity to share the same platform all that many times down through the years, so this is, this is quite a treat. I appreciate this meeting. I appreciate... The RFP, I appreciate the lives that they're touching and the difference that they're making. Um, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast, and I've been helped. And I know uh, you have as well. I appreciate JC and Nathan and Brian. And regardless of what others say, they love Jesus. You know... um, I, this Bible has been with me a lot of places. This Bible's been with me to, to Crown College. <laughs> is, it, is it okay for me to say that? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been with me to the Greer Camp meeting. <laughs> it's been with me in, the, in a lot of places, the same Bible. And uh, I really didn't leave them. Uh, they left me. I came to a point in my life when I wanted to make the Bible my only standard and Jesus my only example. And you can preach that anywhere in America and it'll be celebrated until you put it in shoe leather and start living it out. Then it becomes a game changer. And when issues are brought up and you want to know where that's at in the Bible, uh, give me a, a chapter and verse in context, um, it becomes um, a game changer. And um, that has certainly happened to me. And when I started speaking out openly about what God was doing in my heart, this is, this is not my sermon, this is, this is free. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, it was so big in my heart that that I had to talk about it. I I couldn't keep quiet about it. I had to talk about it. And my wife and I had both talked and we knew what the outcome would be. Uh, We knew that uh, people would turn against us and turn their back on us. And uh, it would mean meetings canceled and, and all of that happened. But I told my wife, I said, if I perish, I perish. If it happens, it happens. Uh, But I have had the opportunity to see God resurrect everything I died to. And that is so powerful when that happens, when you die to something. And then you watch God resurrect the very thing that you died to. And uh, it's just been such a blessing. I'm probably the oldest member of the RFP family. 
and um, that's okay. You know, I'm I'm getting up in years, but I love this last Kentucky Derby. The horse that won it was totally unnoticed. I mean, he was running in the back of the pack until they got to the last turn. And then he came merging out in that last turn, took the lead and won the derby. I'm in the last turn, but there's been a lot of races won in that last lap. <laughs> and um, God has been doing some good things in my life, and I, I'm so thankful. Well, tonight, I want to share some scripture with you. We're going to read a couple of verses in Romans. And uh, I want to share a thought with you tonight about justification. Let me read Romans chapter 3, verse number 25 and 26. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Uh, Paul is emphasizing that it is his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And then the last verse of chapter 4, the Bible tells us, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. In Job chapter 9 and verse 2, Job asked the question, how should a man be just with God? The word just comes from the Hebrew word sodak, and it means to be righteous or to be declared righteous. Job was asking the question, how should a man be just? Or how can a man be righteous before God? Let me remind you that man is a sinner. He is a sinner by conception. Psalm 51 verse 5 tells us that we were shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are sinners by conception. I remember when my grandson, my only grandson was younger and he had disobeyed his mother. And Melinda was getting ready to correct him and Brody just burst into tears. And he said, Mama, I can't help it if I was born in sin. 
But we're all sinners by conception. We're also sinners by choice. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness or men chose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. All of us came to the crossroads of life and death. We came to the crossroad of hell and heaven. We came to the crossroad of right and wrong, of light and darkness. And without exception, every one of us chose darkness. We're sinners by our conduct. Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Considering the fact that man is a sinner, depraved, aliens, to the household of God. Yet the question is, how should a man be just with God? How can one who was conceived in sin, who chose sin, who lived in sin be declared righteous before God. In Romans chapters 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3, Paul establishes the fact that we're all guilty. The heathen are guilty. The hypocrites are guilty. And even the Hebrews are all guilty. And in the latter part of chapter 3, he introduces us to the doctrine of justification. And there are three words that I want to lift from our text tonight and try to elaborate on. The first being the word just. The second word is the word justifier. And then the third word that we talked about in our text is the word justification. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and in verse number 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. The word just comes from the Greek word dikaios. And it means righteous concerning the law. 
It means right. And God is always right. He's never been wrong about anything. He is right. The word dikaios means holy. And the Bible tells us that God is holy. God never has. And he never will compromise his holiness. God is holy. And his standard has always been perfection. God is holy. God is holy. The Bible tells us that when we're in his presence, we're on holy ground. The Bible tells us that his convocations are holy. His habitation is holy. His dwelling place is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. His Sabbath was holy. His chosen people were referred to as a holy nation. The garments the high priest wore as he ministered in the presence of God were called holy garments. The Bible tells us his name is holy. The priest wore a golden crown on the mitre and on that golden crown was the inscription, holiness unto the Lord. God is holy. He's holy. His commandments are holy. The high priest had to be anointed with holy oil before he can minister in the presence of God. He's called the Holy One of Israel. The Bible refers to him as a holy God. God is holy. In Second, First uh, Samuel chapter two and verse two, the Bible says there's none as holy as the Lord. His thoughts are holy. His works are holy. His city is holy. The temple is holy. His love is holy. Isaiah saw the seraphims standing above him and they were crying, holy, holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. He is holy. And God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. It's not that he doesn't sin. He can't sin because he's holy. It's not that he doesn't lie. God cannot lie, for he's holy. It's not that God doesn't fail. He cannot fail for God is holy. Look at your neighbor right now and say, he's holy. He never has compromised his holiness 
and he never will compromise his holiness. God is just. He's always been just. And he will always be just. It was not as though God could look at a lost world and say, I know that you've sinned. I know that you've transgressed my law, but I am going to just overlook your sin and I'm going to allow you to live with me in heaven forever and forever. God could not, could not, could not, could not do that because his holiness would not permit him to do that. The Bible says that he is just. But in that same verse, the scripture tells us that he became the justifier. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, the Bible says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls should take away sin. For it is not possible. That little expression, not possible, in the Greek means it's not possible. <laughs> For it is not possible that the blood of bulls should take away sin. You think about the thousands upon thousands of sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant, yet it was not possible that the blood of those animal sacrifices should take away one sin. Why is that? Because we were not lost by a bull. We were lost by a man. Before a holy God could forgive sin, there had to be a man. There had to be a man. We were lost by a man and only a man could redeem us. Had to be a man. If I can say it like this, the cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. You remember in Numbers chapter 21, the people, they spake against God. They spake against Moses. And the Bible says the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And the serpents bit the people and much people died. The word fiery simply means venomous. They were poisonous snakes and they were everywhere and they were just biting and striking out. And because of these serpents, much people died. And so finally the children of Israel went to Moses and they said, we've sinned. We've done wrong. Pray for us, intercede for us, 
go before God on our behalf, and Moses did. This is what God said. God said, Moses, I want you to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. God said, make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. People were dying because of serpents. Yet when God prescribed an antidote, God said, you make a serpent and put it on a pole because the cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. That's why Jesus said, you had no delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices I didn't come with a burnt offering. I didn't come with a sacrifice, but rather you prepared for me a body. As it is written in the volume of the book, lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. Before God could forgive sin, there had to be a man. It had to be a man. We were lost by a man. We could only be redeemed by a man. We were lost because of a tree in the garden and we could only be saved by a tree in the garden. The cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. But it couldn't be just any man. No, it had to be a perfect man. Before God could forgive sin, there had to be a man. And this man had to keep the law of God to the very jot and tittle. It had to be a perfect man. And this man had to die for the wages of sin is death. God told Adam, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The soul that sinneth shall die. The sting of death is sin. Before God could forgive sin, there had to be a man and this man had to be perfect. He had to be holy. You remember in the Old Testament before an animal could be used as a sacrificial animal, it had to be inspected and if there were any flaws in that animal, if there were any scabs or scurvies, if it had a blind eye or a broken leg or if there was some type of blemish on that animal it was disqualified as a sacrifice because God is holy and there could be no blemishes in the animals that were used as a sacrifice or as an offering to him and so before God could forgive sin his holiness demanded that there be a man and his holiness demanded that this man be perfect this man this man this man would keep the law of God to the 
very jot and tittle. And this man would have to die to pay sin's debt. And this man would have to shed his blood. Why does the Bible say without the shedding of blood, there is no remission? I read it in Romans chapter three. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. In verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Why, when we finally reach that celestial city, we'll lift up, lift up our voices and sing, worthy is the Lamb. Yeah. You've redeemed us to God by thine own blood. Think about it for just a moment. Think about it for a moment. God told Adam, the day you eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. God pronounced a sentence on sin and that penalty, that sentence was death. The only way, are you listening? The only way to abolish death is with life. And guess where life is? Life is in the blood. That's why without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Get the picture. God is holy while man is depraved. And God looks across mankind and his heart is moved with love. God doesn't want to lose man. He doesn't want to let man go. But in order for him to be able to forgive man for his sin, there had to be a man, a perfect man, a man that would keep God's law in its entirety. This perfect man had to die. And this perfect man had to shed his blood. But where was such a man? Where would God find not just a man, but that perfect man when all of us like sheep have gone astray. Where would God find this perfect man? 
while all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm glad tonight that God loved us so much that before he would lose us, God said, I will go down and I will become man. God said, I'll take upon myself a robe of flesh and as a man, I'll live a life for them that they could not live themselves. God said, as a perfect man, I'll go to the cross and I'll bear the sins of the world. I'll shed my life's blood to redeem fallen man. God was just, but in order for him to remain just, in order for him to remain holy, he became the justifier he became man. You think about it. The Bible says that when God created everything, he, he saw that everything he made was good. The only thing God saw that was not good was the loneliness in man's heart. Man wanted a companion. Man wanted someone to, lo to love, someone that would love him in return. Man wanted a family. And I believe that man wanted someone to love because he was created in the very likeness, in the very image of God. Amen. God wanted a family. God wanted someone to love him. Someone that he could love in return. God wanted a family. But God had established a principle in creation that intimacy could only be experienced with those of their own kind. And so in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, or if I could say it this way, after our own kind. God loved man. But one day man fell into sin, and now there is a great gulf betwixt God and man. God is holy, and man is a sinner. God is holy and man is wicked. God is holy and man is depraved. Intimacy could only be experienced by those of their own kind and now there is a great gulf between God and man. But that didn't keep God from mourning a family. That didn't stop God from wanting someone to love and someone that would love him in return. 
And since man had fallen from where God was, there was only one thing God could do. If he was going to experience intimacy with mankind, if God was going to raise up a family, God would have to step across that gulf and be made after his own kind. God stepped across that gulf and the word which was with God and the word which was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. He became what we are so that we might become what he is. He's just and he is the justifier but there's one more word I want you to see. In chapter 4 and verse number 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The Bible tells us that Jesus was delivered for our offenses. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul put it this way, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Now get this. Don't leave me now. His death was necessary in order for God to be able to forgive us and remain just. And in the same sense that his death was necessary for our forgiveness, his resurrection was necessary for our justification. In Romans chapter four, Paul used three words to talk about justification. He used the word counted in Romans chapter four, verses three, and again in verse five. He used the word imputed in Romans chapter four and verse six. And he used the word reckoned in Romans chapter 4 and verse 10. The word counted, imputed, and reckoned. But they all came from the same Greek word. They're terms that an accountant would use. The word reckon. The word impute and the word counted simply means to transfer from the account of one into the account of another. According to the Bible, when we came to Christ, when we were truly converted, 
we were justified. When we think about justification, as the brother mentioned last night, we think of it in terms as just as if I had never sinned. The removal of sin was only half of the process. And I'm glad that our sins were removed when we came to Christ. Uh, Isaiah said he put my sins behind his back. David said he's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. Nahum said he put my sins in the bottom of the sea. And Job said he sealed my sins in a bag. But I'm glad tonight my sins are not behind God's back. My sins are not sealed up in a bag. My sins are not in the bottom of the ocean. My sins are not even as far as the east is from the west. You say, preacher, where are your sins? You remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, John lifted up his voice and said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. My sins are gone. And we think of justification as the forgiveness and the removal of all sin. And it is, but that's just half of it. Not only are our sins removed, but the Bible teaches that when we are truly converted, that the righteousness of Jesus... is deposited into our account. And when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness and he doesn't see my sin. He only sees the righteousness of his dear son. You hear me tonight, there's only one reason I'm saved. There's only one reason you're saved. There's only one reason any of us are saved. And that is because the righteousness of Jesus has been deposited into our account. <laughs> All my sins are gone. His righteousness has been deposited into my account. But now wait a minute, wait a minute. Was Jesus righteous? Was he righteous? How do we know that he was righteous? The greatest proof, the greatest evidence that Jesus was righteousness is seen that morning when he got up out of the grave and walked out of that tomb, a conqueror over death, hell, and the grave. I know that he was righteous because he got up from the grave. He rose for our justification. Yes. Jesus lived on this earth approximately 12,000 days and every day of his life was a monument of holiness. 
He never spoke an impure word. He never committed an impure deed. He never had an impure thought. He never took an impure step. Only Jesus could say, I do always those things which please the Father. Only Jesus could look at his enemies and say, which one of you convinces me of sin? It's no wonder as John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he heard a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased that was just the father's way of saying that's my boy that's my boy and he pleases me I know I know he's righteous I know he's righteous because he got up 1 Corinthians 15 56 said for the sting of death is sin. If Jesus had had one impure thought, he'd still be lying in that tomb. If he failed to keep one law, he'd still be lying in that tomb. If Jesus had failed to fulfill any scripture, he'd still be lying in that tomb. Had he committed one sin, just one sin, whether it was omission or commission, he'd still be lying in that tomb. But I'm glad he was raised according to the spirit of holiness. He rose for our justification. I know he's righteous. I know he's righteous because death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him. Him. He got up out of the grave. And when I came that night and I trusted Christ as best as I knew how, and that night he performed a work in my heart, I'm glad his righteousness was deposited into my account. And when the Father sees me, he sees me clothed in the righteousness of his Son. I know. I know he was righteous. I know he was righteous because he got up out of the grave. Death couldn't sting him. Death couldn't sting him. He was righteous. <laughs> Father, time met King Death. He was sitting by a tomb. Hello, good friend, I guess you're here to seal somebody's doom. You might say that, Sly Death replied as a smile came across his face. For inside lies that Jesus man who said he would save the race. In you time, why are you stopping here? Don't you have things to do? Well, I just come each day to draw the veil and to let the morning through. Say, death, why are you watching just one grave with all your vast domain? Looks to me like you'd be rambling around, smiting folk with pain. Well, this one's something special. He challenged me, they say, he said he would lay here just three days, then get up and walk away. Now, I'm the conqueror, you know. They don't talk back to me. 
when I step in and smite a man that's for all eternity. Well, I can testify to that, Father Time replied. Haven't seen one shake the dust since you were in your pride. But I've got things to do, so I must be on my way. But I'll see you when I come back again to make another day. So Father Time passed up the hill to cause the sun to rise and left death sitting by the tomb, so mighty and so wise. The next day, time passed again. How are things, he queried. Kind of quiet, old death replied. I'm starting to get a little wearied. But I won't be here when you come by about this time tomorrow. For I'm anxious to get on my way to spread more grief and sorrow. But the next day, time passed again. And he was quite surprised to see old death was quivering on the ground in frightful agony. His eyes were set, his cloak was marred, his clothes in disarray, and it wasn't difficult for time to see that old death had had his day. <laughs> what happened, death? Asked Father Time. What makes you look so bad? I've never seen you look this way, so weak and oh so sad. Death pulled himself upon a rock. He was looking sick and humble. He hung his head and he wrung his hands. And time could hear death mumble. I was sitting here just before the break of day. I was about to take my stroll. When all at once the whole wide world just seemed to rock and roll. The stone moved from the door and skipped on down the hill. And all at once everything grew very quiet and still. And then I saw him. He was standing in the door. He did not move nor speak. And all at once, I felt myself becoming tired and weak. And then he came out of the grave and he got a hold of me and he threw me on the ground. He placed his foot upon my neck and then he took away my crown. Then he took away my keys and placed them on his side. And now I must go and face old Satan and tell him that I lied. For I'd made a vow to Satan. I promised to hold him down. But with power like I've never seen, Jesus came forth from the ground. I know he's righteous, I know he's righteous, I know he's righteous, I know there was no sin in him, no sin, no sin, no sin, because on that third day, he knocked out both ends of the grave, and he got up! Amen. 
for our justification. Father, I'm thankful that you're just. I'm glad that you're the justifier. And oh God, I stand tonight saved, 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 saved. All because the righteousness of your darling son has been deposited into my account. Lord, I thank you. Father, I thank you for this conference. And I pray that you'll use every message, every word that's said, everything that's done to bring glory and honor to your precious son in Jesus' name. Amen. for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.